art can mean different things to different people. These are just our opinions. Ben interested in know that our opinions may differ from yours and encourage that difference. Also spoilers. Welcome to Journey to the Center of Cinema, where we try to get to the center of movies and TV. I'm Tristan. <laughs> Welcome to Journey to the Center of Cinema, where we try to get to the center of movies and TV. I'm Tristan. <laughs> Welcome to Journey to the Center of Cinema, where we try to get to the center of movies and TV. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ben. If you haven't already guessed by our weird opening, Today, we're doing a time loop movie and also a multiverse movie. Uh, today, we're discussing the two Happy Death Day movies, which I have just recently watched both of them for the first time. Tristan saw them when they came out. I saw the second one when it came out. I missed the first one, but. But yeah, I think we'll just go ahead and say it right off the bat. These are really good movies. Mm-hmm. They are. They have dumb titles, but <laughs> if you get past that, they are a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think I think we could say neither of us are huge fans of horror films in general. True, but I think what this really captures, at least for me, and I would think from our conversations, you too, is it's it's not just a horror film; it's a horror comedy, which mm-hmm. makes it a lot more palatable, and it also is a it plays on different genres. Like the first one is a time loop movie, a la Groundhog Day, which Tristan and I have discussed multiple times. And we will probably still be doing a Groundhog themed, Groundhog Day themed episode. Uh, All the movies with time loop type twists or a lot of them, probably not all of them, maybe next year around Groundhog Day. Yeah. Um, But we didn't want to waste October to do a good double feature. So a good time loop movie the first one and the second one is kind of a mix of time loop and multiverse movie Mm -hmm. and it also plays with slasher tropes uh that you can you can get a lot of scream vibes especially from the first one but it doesn't it's not gratuitous it's not neither of these really dive into what the slasher genre has like sort of become since the original Halloween, which is a lot of like you go to watch all of the blood and the gore and the all of that. Like I saw the new Halloween when it came out. I really enjoyed it, but like there was a lot of gross stuff. And these don't do that. And, and because- I think what this one what these do really well, which is very similar to the original Scream with the comedic lens, is they show you very creative death scenes, but it doesn't focus on the the violence. Like you basically see um, the main character tree die a whole lot of, it seems like more times than she does because in the second film she references it and she's like, I've died eight times. And you're like, you really only died eight times in the first movie. Yeah. I think it was, I didn't count, but I think she only dies on screen eight times. I, I think one of the things with movies like this is the assumption is you are seeing a handful Right. Which I think Palm Springs plays with more than any of the other time loop movies. But this one, if we're to take her at her word, which I think by the second movie, we can. We see every event, essentially. Right. Maybe we'll split that up or you skip boring parts, but we see every loop. There's a lot of the suspense and the implied violence, but most of the death scenes are pretty tame. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't get a lot of the gore or the blood. And even... I think it's been a couple weeks since i saw the first one at this point but i think most of them too you just kind of see the knife and then maybe some blood through her shirt or something and that's about maybe there's more implied but that's really all you see explicit or when you get into like the more comedic ones where she like dies because she gets in a fight with the girl at her sorority house and they both get run over by a bus (laughs) or i think the second one is the one where she jumps out of an airplane in her underwear yeah the second one is a lot more so the first one is all about the killer slasher angle and the second one there is another killer but it's not really focused on that it's focused on which we'll get into the plots here in a second i think but it's focused on her needing to retain this information to figure out this math formula with these nerdy characters that they have so but before the killer can ever get to her or anyone else she makes herself die. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of 
interesting ways that she does it. And it's all, a lot of it stems from the fact that the man that she fell in love with in the first movie is dating someone else in this parallel universe, um, which was one of her close friends. So anytime she sees quotes, friends in quotes, indeed. But a lot of times whenever she sees the two of them together is when she finds some creative way to die. She throws herself into a wood chipper. (laughs) She skydives without a parachute. Um, She electrocutes herself in a bathtub. And we can talk about the balancing act that the the second movie actually manages to do with her repeatedly killing herself and not making it the like, ha ha suicide thing. Because it does manage to do that, which I appreciate. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't get, it doesn't go too far one way or another. It has Mm -hmm. this very good balance of, you know, we're not focusing on it. It's just kind of a plot device. And they do preface it with like, she doesn't want to be murdered again and again and again, because she already did that. (laughs) And since we're talking about it, we're doing a double, we can talk about the plot of the first and then probably the second, because they have the same cast. For the most part, yeah. Yeah. Um, Some characters get a lot bigger in the second or are bigger in the first, whichever. But yeah, so the the main plot of the first one is it is Teresa, known by Tree's birthday, and she wakes up in a strange dorm room and meets another character that um, she was with the night before, Carter, with in the sense of together at a party, not within another sense. He took her back to his room because she was very drunk and out of it and folds her clothes up nice is the epitome of a nice guy in one of these movies, but is actually a nice guy. Yes, um, not trying to portray as a nice guy. And she gets a phone call and she leaves the room and goes about her day, has a moment with her roommate, has a moment from a girl from her sorority, does all these things. And it's her birthday. I don't know if I had mentioned that at the beginning. Goes about her day. And at the end, she is lured into a tunnel, leaving a football game, I think, or she's going to a party and there's a football game going on. And she is stabbed by someone wearing a mask of the school mascot, which is a giant baby it is the bayfield and it was like bayfield, bayfield babies i was literally bayfield look babies. Up where they filmed it because i do think they filmed it at an actual college at least for all the like wide shots it would make sense that they would Lo- loyola university in new orleans oh yeah loyola that makes sense but yeah so nice campus. Um, it looks beautiful in the movie from what, yeah from what we've seen but yeah so um she gets stabbed by this person wearing a Bayfield baby's mask and dark a dark hoodie. It looks, you know, it's kind of a modern scream. It's not the long flowing robes, mm-hmm. but it's also showing the absurdity of all of these other slasher films. Of, yeah. You know, instead the, of a the, frightening mask, it's this really like jarringly absurd, stupid mask. It's goofy. And, you know, it's, it is a little bit scary, but it's also just kind of like, oh, okay, so we're putting this in the context of it's supposed to be scary, but it's not. Right. If anything, it's more creepy just because the college has a mascot that's a giant baby. Yeah, it's. But then when you think about what other college, what other schools have for mascots, it's, I mean, we went wrong. to a school where it was a Spartan, which isn't really that it's just a person. So like mascots are weird. But that's a small, childish person. Yeah, it's true. But Bye. anyway, so after she gets stabbed, she wakes up again in the same dorm room. And if you've seen any time loop movie, which I hope you've seen at least one at this point, and if you're going to keep watching or listening to this, hopefully you've seen this one because we're going to talk about a lot of it. But she wakes up and then relives that same day over and over and is very upset about that. Yeah. What I do like about this that other time loop movies don't really do is that eventually all of the injuries she sustained over the course of being killed repeatedly because she doesn't just get stabbed. Like since so she gets like run over by a bus, she, she, she falls off the top of a building. I think that might be the second one, but um, hangs herself from a clock tower, drowned. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of different ways and eventually the injuries actually keep showing up yeah and every time she wakes up there's a montage 
in at least the first one, there might be a montage in the second one as well, um, where every time she wakes up, you know, the first time she wakes up, she's kind of just like wakes up again because it was just mm -hmm. a, a knife. But then other times, like one time she wakes up and spits out all this water because she drowned and, mm -hmm. you know, and an interesting thing that they, they play on that idea a lot in the second one too, where every time she dies, she gets weaker. Yep. Um, I don't think that idea is super well developed in the first one, but the, the injuries do add up and her mental state also gets more and more unhinged the more times yeah. she dies and has to relive this day. Yeah, so I think Carter eventually, or at, at least within the second loop of the first one, she enlists Carter to try to figure out what's going on. And he says, okay, well, if somebody's murdering you, uh, figure out who it is. You have unlimited time, which you know later it turns out she doesn't, but she uses it to begin the first, the montage of the first one, which was really fun is her just kind of going insane and trying to figure out, all right, here's the list of people who might want me dead. What's going on? And it goes through like a guy she went on a date with and never called back a sorority. Wait, was it Carter that hold, had her make the list or was it the roommate? I think it was Carter because the okay. roommate doesn't know in the first one. Okay. Guy she went on a date with, mean sorority sister, professor she is engaged in an affair with. And, you know, there's a whole list of people. And I think what the first one does very cleverly is when you watch a movie like this and it is a woman in college and she's sleeping with a professor and then somebody's trying to murder her, you're immediately going to go, ah, there we go. That's who's killing her. And it's not. Yeah, he was I, one of the first uh, names that was crossed off, right? You know. Or was he the last? He was one of the last because there was the scene where she wakes up and Carter's like, oh, my God, are you OK? In the hospital. And then there's like the lights flicker and then he's back there. Right. Doing the like really creepy. Who are you? Visiting hours are over. And then he gets murdered. Yes, you're right. But yeah, I think and what this one does and then we'll get into the, the actual killer and part of that plot but this one definitely lifts a lot from parodying like the original groundhog day too where in that movie it's all about oh the character is a bad person and he figures out ways to atone himself and like make good on all these people in his life and has this experience the universe is telling him you need to be better and at the beginning of this movie tree is not a likable character nope she's a jerk to everybody she's having an affair and you see like the professor's wife come in and there's a, you instantly feel bad for the wife and you feel bad for there, there's really no redeeming quality about tree. But as the movie goes on, you kind of get some of these hints of why she might be feeling the way she is. And she starts coming to terms with who she is. And instead of writing off this guy that she went on a date with, she helps him come to a realization that he's not into her. He's actually gay and ends the affair with the professor and does all of these things to make her more likable. And then the, the big crux of it is the phone call that she receives in the morning. And then usually one or two other times throughout the day is from her dad to get lunch for her birthday. And we find out that she's been blowing him off because it was also her mother's birthday and her mother had passed away. And it's kind of this big grief spot on her that she's not ready to accept her mother's death. And her relationship with her father seems to be a little bit strained because of that. And finally, in what if this were Groundhog Day and what the movie's spoofing on, what we think will close the time loop is she goes through this day She's atones for all of these mistakes that she's made. She goes and has a birthday celebration with her father. She has this big moment of realization and reconciliation about her mother's passing. She doesn't get killed by the person in the baby mask. She goes back to her sorority. And that's when we find out who the real killer is because she dies one final time. Mm -hmm. And after um, like what what's really fun about like the opening of every day or at least the first few is you kind of follow her as she's noticing all of these things that are happening over and over that would be weird so like two people are studying on the grass and the sprinklers go off there's some bros being hazed by having to sing 99 bottles of beer on the wall for 20 think, some hours yeah like I, I can't remember what number it is this is probably a trivia question somewhere but it's over 10 yeah They're, it's like 14, 18 hours, and one of the guys passes out because he's been doing it so long. 
Um, so the more she relives this, she's able to warn the couple not to sit there because the sprinklers are going to go off. She puts a pillow under the guy's head so he doesn't hit his head when he falls. And she does have like this one over the top good day where she does all of like these good things. She reconciles her with her dad. She realizes like, oh, hey, I'm kind of into Carter because he's been helping me this whole time. And she originally is like, oh, wow, you take a girl to your dorm room when she's really drunk. And then you find out he's sleeping in his roommate's bed across the room. His roommate's kind of a jerk. Well, not a jerk. He's he's weird. He's more important later. <laughs> he's a pretty typical college freshman male yeah and you she goes through her day she helps the girl in the sorority who is being fat shamed by i guess they're i don't neither of us were in um fraternities so we don't really know how any of this works a girl that has more power over other people yes we don't know if she's like a house leader or whatever but she was fat shaming this other person for just like getting a roll or something uh chocolate milk i believe it was yeah and tree sits down and has like french fries and it's yeah it's really fun and then at the end of the day she wakes up and is like super pissed because she's still trapped in the time loop yeah and then so as we're figuring out there's kind of this red herring that in the hospital where she was treated one time there's this like serial killer that was brought in and he's being treated and there's cop stationed to guard him. So Tree thinks that, oh, well, that's obviously who's killing me, whatever, kind of similar to Scream a little bit mm-hmm. with Liev Schreiber's character in that, the person oh, that- I forgot he was in that. Yeah, right? The the person that they thought killed Sydney's mom in yeah. the Scream movies, which they don't make that direct connection. It's not like this is the guy that killed Tree's mom or anything, but no, he's a serial I, I, killer. You know, I believe Tree's mom died of cancer. Or something. Yeah, it wasn't like premeditated. No. I can't remember if it was cancer or a car accident. It was something that was either it was it was one of those tragedies of like either illness or freak accident. Yeah. Not anything that was meant to happen. Unless the third one comes out and we find out that it was, but I don't think that's gonna happen. But yeah, so it kind of comes down, and then this is where we figure out that eventually they figure out oh well the serial killer is not the person that's been killing me and it was her spoiler alert one last time if you're still listening it was her roommate who is jealous because she's sleeping with the professor who's like a doctor and works in the same student hospital that the the roommate's a nurse at yeah or something it doesn't really make a lot of sense from a school perspective at least not from our experience but I, we didn't go to a school that has like a super a big medical big program medical program but yeah i think that for me that reveal at the end was kind of like not i mean it's fine it's still because i was glad that it wasn't the professor but that wasn't fleshed out enough but i mean these movies are always very short and really the killer is not the important part of yeah any i think of I think by the time you take out the credits, it's only like an hour and 27, 28 minutes. Like it's, it's not long, but they pack a lot into it. And like Tristan said, it's not really a, I mean, in in some ways it is about who the killer is just because that's tree's journey. Yeah. But that's more of just an obstacle to overcome on trees character growth. Yeah. Becoming not just a better person, but just like coming to grips with her grief which is an added thing because like in Groundhog Day Bill Murray is just a bad dude but I do like that they added like this little journey that is also continued in the second one which we can get into right after this where she is learning to cope and live with the loss of her mother Mm -hmm. yeah and I I mean we've talked about the first one enough I think we'll just get to the very end it has a very nice ending of tree kicking her roommate out of a second story window Yep. Um, and then she... right in front of that poor sorority <laughs> sister who just is, she's just sitting there and waving at everybody as they go in and she just pull up. <laughs> and then Tree ends up with Carter and they, they're happy and in love. That was another thing. That relationship actually felt earned at the end. It does. And then it also doesn't because you're like, okay, on her end, it makes a lot of sense. She's gone through all of this development, understands yeah. who he is. He doesn't really get that. Because you can kind of see his character change with every day passing day two. But then you have the realization that like, okay, in continuity, 
he's only been with this girl for like eight hours. Yeah. And now he's supposed to have like the same feeling of love for her where she's had like days and eight, nine days of connection with him. Which they do kind of, they spoof a little bit in the second one. Mm. We move on to the second one, which does a very good bait and switch. So we're going to have to just, Mm. again, spoilers right out of the gate. Also, I I would be remiss if I didn't mention, we had a fun opening on this episode of the podcast, which was inspired by the universal logos for each of these films are super clever because the first one is a rewind and replay two or three times of the universal logos to show that time loop element. And then this one is three side-by-side pictures showing the logo happening simultaneously. Yeah, I'm not sure. They might be slightly altered. I didn't look super into that. Maybe. I don't know. I just, they didn't have to do that. They didn't. That that is going above and beyond on their part, which was nice. So the second one opens and it looks like we're going to follow Carter's roommate who wakes up the day after the first movie. Does the same, all this weird stuff happens to him. He goes up to their room, sees Tree and Carter together, gets kicked out again, and then goes about his day. Goes, He's got this big science project and then is killed. And then it starts over again. Uh, but this time because Tria just lived through it when he mentions having deja vu she's immediately like oh okay somebody's stuck in a time loop let's figure it out and then as stuff progresses you find out you see a duplicate of the roommate yeah it's very interesting so the second one you we're going through the same thing where ryan the roommate is stabbed or killed by the someone else in a baby mask in this science lab and then he instead of like tree where she like was just freaked out in the first movie he immediately comes in and just starts like saying exactly what happened and but there's someone there who can relate so they track down find the killer and then end up losing the killer and it's kind of this wild goose chase but within the first 15 20 minutes they catch the killer and they reveal that it is also ryan And that's, there's some of this science speak too of this machine that Ryan and his team of other science engineering majors have been working on. And there was like this weird energy reading that was higher than they've ever seen. And it's been causing blackouts around campus, which we saw in the first movie. And yeah, so you get to this point and you're like, wait a minute, if this is supposed to be another slasher movie where we're not supposed to know who the killer is. Within 15 minutes, they just subverted that expectation. Mm -hmm. And then when you're just kind of settling into like, okay, so Tree is not going to be the main character. If we're going to follow Ryan, she'll be a supporting member. The machine, like the Dean comes in and tells Ryan and his friends, your machine's causing a lot of problems. Your funding's pulled. I'm taking this machine. And the machine goes off during like a fight. And then Tree wakes up on her birthday again, which is, she doesn't have to repeat anything. She remembers everything that happened in the first movie. So she freaks out, repeats the same walk from the first movie, but is like angry and screaming at people. And it's really funny, especially when she finds the one guy she went on a date with who was like, hey, why have you called me back? And she just yells at him, you're gay. (laughs) And then she has to convince Ryan to help her because she figured out why she's in a time loop. But then it's revealed that it's not the same universe because a few things happen. Danielle, the mean sorority sister who's in charge of everybody, is dating Carter. And the biggest reveal, which is when she goes to lunch with her dad, is that her mother is actually alive. Yeah. And another big thing is Tree is no longer having an affair with the doctor professor. It is her roommate who was <laughs> jealous of that affair in the first one. So she has this kind of understanding of what position she's in. Um, Uh, So once we find out that she is not in her timeline, they actually, they lean into this and have her debate whether or not she wants to stay in this universe where her mom is alive or go back to her remembered timeline where her mom is dead, but she is in love with Carter. Yeah. Carter doesn't really know who she is. Right. He knows her basically as a friend of Danielle. Yeah. But not. And that was one of the things that like he brought her back to the dorm room in this universe because, oh, you're my girlfriend's friend. Like, I need to help you out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Good guy. 
but then <laughs> I, I think what really works about this version is having the character development of the first one tree is she starts out as a likable character mm-hmm. and you have these moments of growth that we've already seen that change her attitude because a lot of it like the killer in this version isn't going after her but she doesn't want her friend her roommate to die or carter to die or she doesn't want really anyone that's innocent to die because she's thinking well i'm gonna leave this universe i don't want this damage to have happened whatever or if i'm gonna stay in this universe she doesn't want carter to be dead in case she has a shot with him or whatever so i think if it would have been the tree from the first film none of that would have mattered because she would have been operating under her own selfish goal of I'm going to do whatever it is for self-preservation or whatever is in my best interest. Where in this one, she does have more of that altruistic ideology of I don't want to be the reason that somebody dies or if I know that this is going to happen, I need to stop it. Yeah. And she even, because when the day resets, all of the nerdy science people forget all of the work they've done she begins acting essentially as like a living record of all the work that they did and memorizes all of their formulas or whatever just to make sure that in the end whether she decides to stay or leave their machine works and they can set they can close the loop and yeah and we talked about earlier there's this montage of all of these formulas that aren't right So then they go the whole day doing these formulas. It doesn't work. She kills herself. Then she respawns, says which formulas don't work Mm -hmm. and goes on. So instead of having the the baby faced killer that we're worrying about, it's more of this. Okay. We're, we're up against a different threat, which is intelligence and math. The (laughs) scariest horror villain there is math. The worst villain. (laughs) We're two English majors. We can, we can we can relate to that but um and i think what works really well with this one regarding tree is you actually you get to see how close to her mom she actually was because in the first one you just get like a few pictures but they lean into this idea that she's actually in another universe which is super interesting i don't know of a lot of movies who do this where when she is talking to her parents her mom will reference events that happened in this timeline where like they went on a trip and they did something and tree doesn't remember because where she's from her mom is dead right but or even some of these other events are just slightly different Mm -hmm. and she has to come to terms with like if i stay here this isn't my life yeah and And it's kind of a grappling too because presumably if she's returned to her universe there might be another parallel universe where the her from this universe is now. Yeah. So So hypothetically, there could have been an entire another story of like her from this universe being thrown into the universe of the first movie where her mom is dead, but she's dating Danielle's boyfriend. All of a sudden idea for the third one. I think it would get stale pretty fast, but I think given, given how this one ends, I think if there is to be a third one, they know exactly what they're going to do with it. Yeah. Yes, they do. So in about halfway through this tree decides she's going to stay because she wants to be with her mom, which again, while she does come to the realization that this isn't her life is very understandable because I think it's never said how long ago her mom passed away, but it's recent from what I can get. And like the pictures were shown. Yeah, I would assume it was a year within the past year, maybe two years. Yeah. So she, when she grapples with, oh, I have a chance to live my, my life with my mom, she decides to take it. But through course of events, which involve, I think Carter dies like trying to save her roommate because at one point she doesn't go to the hospital to warn her roommate that somebody's after her. But Carter being good boy, Carter decides to go and warn her anyway and is killed. Yeah. And then she, that's one of the things that we had missed where she killed herself driving into a power plant. Yes. Um, because the machine had like five minutes before it was going to go off and they couldn't stop it or they weren't going to stop it. Yeah. So she did that, which there is a lot in this movie of like, they try to do events that are happening simultaneously, but one of them is like happening over one second. And the other is obviously happening over like, 15 seconds yeah but that that's not something that just this movie struggles with that is oh no that is an industry-wide yes 
it's hard to just show that. And I think the other, her roommate also just gets killed at one point in the second mm-hmm. one. Um, but eventually she, she has a conversation. I think it's right before Carter dies. She has a conversation with her mom that is basically like, Hey, when did you know you wanted to be with dad? And her mom is just kind of like, which I really appreciated. Her mom just kind of says, I didn't, I took a shot and it worked out and I wouldn't give it up because if I did, I wouldn't have you. And I like my life, which when I saw this, it was one because parent kid stuff makes me cry basically immediately. So I was through tears listening to this conversation in a movie theater. And then it was like, Oh no, they're going to do the, I just knew he was the one, but they didn't. And I appreciated that. Yeah. And right after, I believe it's right after that speech, there's also this idea of like shaping the future that you want. Like instead of focusing, spending all of your time with your head in the past, you have an opportunity to shape your future. You have to choose between those two, which is ultimately like taking it down to the bone of what Tree's choice is, is do I want to focus on my past and try to revive something that was with her mom? Or do I want to focus on this exciting future that's before me with Carter? Mm-hmm. She makes the choice to go back to her universe, which it, I don't think, as we're describing it, it might sound like it just kind of came down to mom or Carter, but it didn't. Because there were several conversations over the course of the movie where it's like, you're taking someone else's life. And she realizes like, this isn't, I don't remember half the stuff my mom's referenced anymore. And also Carver, Carter's making out with Danielle and that's gross. And also Danielle's cheating on him with a really dumb dude. And even just like a lot of her like classes are different. She doesn't even know like what classes she's supposed to be in or who her professors are. Or, yeah. You know, but she goes to talk to the doctor from the first one and he's like, I don't even know who you are. You're yeah, not like, in my if, class. If you're in my class, you've never shown up. Yeah. So she makes the choice to go back and then they, they, they turn into a heist movie for about 15 minutes where they, they get the machine back. I will say it's probably my least favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Because it really feels like they're just trying to pad the runtime. Because I'm okay. not sure if there's like any real development there. They're just like, oh, we've introduced this Dean character that needs some something to do. And what would be fun if the machine was taken away and they have to go Scooby-Doo their way out to get it? Yeah. I mean, they gave Danielle more stuff to do too. So, but it's not the best part of the movie, especially happening after like a really emotional beat, but they fix the world. She goes back and they get in trouble. They get what community service. Yeah. Well, hold on. We, we need to talk about, there is the baby faced killer in oh, this right. universe, um, which is the professor doctor. Yep. Um, so it's kind of, as we all thought it was in the first one, this one kind of then, subverts the expectation again where this time it is him although the first one it it didn't matter this one it really didn't matter like i don't think anyone really cared about the the killer part but it was more just this another opportunity for tree to i'm not ready to leave because if i leave these two people who i care about in my universe are going to be dead in this universe Mm -hmm. um so but it's the the doctor is not working alone in this one he's also working with his wife who found out about the affair and basically was like, you need to kill her so that we can have our life. And then he kills, which was kind of funny because he shoots her and then is like, I want a divorce. And I was like, ha But then Tree does kill him in a really creative way where they like end up in like an MRI mm-hmm. machine and he's she has a screwdriver. She turns it on and like a metal wheelchair pins him to the machine and then she like lets go of the screwdriver and it impales him. Yeah, not, no, not bloody, really cool. but... It was really cool. I was, I appreciated that. It was creative. I think that's the point. But yeah, and then, you know, then she returns to her universe. Her and Carter are together. And we have this kind of post-credit scene that we'll get into, but, or maybe let's get into that now and then we'll make our next point. Um, But yeah, there was a, a science agency that had kind of gotten control of this device that can make time loops and multiverse things happen. Um, and they want to find a test subject to figure out what limits it has. And the test subject is Danielle. Yep. Um, and surprisingly, given that federal agency is kind of like out of nowhere, it didn't feel forced. It felt 
reasonable to me. And I was excited because like, I like both of these movies quite a bit. And like, if they want to do a third one, I'm, I'm happy. I would, I, think I would pay for it. It makes sense to change it. This one, the, the opening sets it up to be about not tree. You're like, oh, this is going to be about Ryan, that tangential character from the first one. And then it ends up being mostly about Tree again. But I think as much as I like um, Jessica Roth's character, I do think that we've kind of explored that a lot where it would be interesting because a lot of the characters in this world, I think, would could carry their own films. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be interesting to keep the same ensemble, but start switching the focus on who the main character is in subsequent films. And that's a good segue to talk about the actors because though these are kind of, they live and breathe with Jessica Roth and Tree, there are a lot of people in this move in these movies who are great. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we can talk about Tree first. Uh, she is played again by Jessica Roth, who is incredible in these, not just funny, um, she's believable in all of her scenes, shows a pretty wide range in two very short movies and goes from not likable to likable and even more like relatable and understanding over the course of these two movies. And yeah, she's really good in these. Yeah, I think, you know, she's definitely the standout performance. And a lot of that is because she has the most to do. Yeah, um, she's in like every scene. Yeah, I can't think of really, at least in the first one, I can't think of any scene that she's not pivotal in. The second one, there are some scenes that are more about the ensemble Mm -hmm. um, coming together. But yeah, I do think, I think a time loop movie is difficult to pull off because as an actor, um, because depending on how they film it, you have this history of what the character's gone through, but then you have to act like you don't. Yep. which is very difficult. And I think, like we said, I think there are a few times within these that you can, and I don't think it's the acting, I think it's some of the writing, that the characters seem to be let in on more than what they should know, at least emotionally. Maybe the knowledge has been explained to them, Tree coming and explaining to all of the mm-hmm. science people like what's going on. But it's a lot of their reactions are too quick of like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay, let's keep, let's just move the plot along. Um, but the performances themselves, I think, are great. Um, you have Israel Broussard um, as Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And like we said, he's a nice guy. Yep, but he's not because I know a lot of people in that role could make him seem like he was pretending to be nice for something or would just be very bland. But um, he does a really good job with not a whole lot. Yeah, he's very genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like there's not a lot to be said about a lot of these roles just because all of them did such a good job making them believable. Um, like I think Ruby Modine, who played Lori, who was the roommate and the killer in the first one. I, I do think that the, the twist was not very obvious. Like she did a very good job. Um, she wasn't in the movie a whole lot. She just kind of had a couple scenes that were the same scenes on her end. Um, but there wasn't any sort of like over the top drama, even when she's revealed to be the killer, that would yeah. be like, Oh, okay, here we go. And I, um, and I think if you watch it again, there are a couple of hints in there that she mm-hmm. is the killer. Um, but I wouldn't say her acting gave it away. No. You know, it's the foreshadowing that's from the script and from the fact that she's a good actor that she can, deliver those without hinting at it, you know, giving the camera a little wink, wink. Yeah, I don't know. Any other um, cast that you want to talk about? I feel like we should talk about Danielle, though. Danielle, Rachel Matthews. Yeah, she was very good. I, I think the first one, she didn't really have a lot to go off of because she was just kind of this mean girls-esque sorority sister. Yeah, she was she's definitely... almost a caricature of sorority culture. Which I enjoy in general, but also she was definitely there in the first one to make you think she was probably, she was one of the two red herrings. Right. Um, But in the second one, she has a lot more to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think she definitely shines in the second one. And if there is a third one, 
with her at the center, I wouldn't be upset by it. Right. Because if there is a character in this universe that needs to like get stuck in a time loop to become a better person, <laughs> it's probably her. And it's interesting because so you can tell that she's a good actor because of the two different versions that she plays, because Danielle in the first movie is kind of, you know, like we were saying, she's this caricature of sorority culture where, you know, she's fat shaming people and in the sorority and she's pretending to be care about these social causes just for her own, like personal standing in the college community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, presumably to get a good job later to show all of these accolades, whatever. Whereas the second one, for the most part, I think she is supposed to be like a likable character. Yeah. Because she does have this actual like giving heart of like, oh, I do really care about this charity and all this other stuff. She does have her one fatal flaw where she's cheating on Carter with this guy that's basically a caricature of frat culture. He's just he's, abs. He's, he's really just, just he's, he's just, abs. just abs. And then they do one of the like the, the one dialogue he has is he's just like really dumb. It's like rocks can't be dumb. They don't have brains. Oh, bud. He's, he's like a golden retriever. Yeah. You just feel bad for him, honestly, because he has no idea what's happening. But, but you know, I, so I think having her be able to play both of those roles and it's the same character. And really, she plays them almost identically. Mm-hmm. But she, the motivation is so different. And that comes across really well, which I don't think a lot of actors can pull that off yeah and i think that is a testament to not only her as an actor but as to christopher landon who i think he directed both um had a hand in the scripts for both if not he was not the head writer on the first one but he was on the second one but um and we can talk about the direction and writing for a second Um, i think we should he does it's very clear that he not only knows how to direct a horror film, but has a handle on all of the different genres he's pulling from. Um, And really that is hard because I know comedy is harder than drama Mm -hmm. when you get down to it. And he and his team were just doing a balancing act (laughs) for both these movies where if they tilted even slightly in either camp or just straight up horror, the movie is going to fall apart. Yeah. And I think, you know, before we got on, we talked about this and this was a point that I'm really eager to make is I think this collaboration between Christopher Landon, Jason Blum and Blumhouse is one of the best things that's come out of Hollywood in the past 10 years or so. Um, Because between these two movies and Freaky, which is another, um, horror comedy that Tristan and I really like, which that one spoofs the Freaky Friday body switch genre. Um, I think he is really the king of horror comedy right now. Yeah, we, um, there, there hasn't think, been a horror comedy this good and like that actually satires the genre unlike, you know, like Zombieland, which is just goofy. Um, but like since the original screen, I think it's. He's... I would say maybe you could put Edgar Wright in there with the Shaun of the Dead Hot Fuzz maybe. trilogy, but I wouldn't say that's kind of a different animal of horror comedy. But yeah, I think Scream is the spoof, com- you know, genre film, and then this would come. This is kind of the successor to that. Yeah, whereas I think Scream directly parodies the genre. These if you include both of these and then freaky uh they're kind of they are just spins on it which i really enjoy and it's kind of like they're you know it's part of it because scream is just spoofing horror yeah and like everything that came before it a lot of the stuff that wes craven himself had done before is included Mm -hmm. in that whereas these are taking it's an amalgamation of two different genres that are being spliced together and yeah he's putting a spin on it to say I think it's less about, oh, we're going to make it a comedy. It's, hey, we're going to take a time loop movie and we're going to spin it and make it a horror and not make a horror movie and spin it into a time loop. Which when you think about it for like five seconds, being caught in time loop is absolutely something that could be horrifying. Oh, yeah. With, you know, swapping bodies with somebody, especially if you're a teenage girl and the person you're swapping bodies with happens to be a middle-aged serial killer. (laughs) By the way, if you haven't seen Freaky, 
you should. I don't know if we'll ever do an episode on it, but Vince Vaughn and Catherine Newton in that are both incredible. I and yeah, think- I think uh, it's one of those things that we were talking about earlier is Christopher Landon's ability to have all of these creative death scenes and be true to some of these elements of the slasher and horror and thriller. You know, there's a lot of suspense behind these um, and keeping it pretty mild overall. Like, um, I can't, I don't know what these movies are rated. If they're, they're PG-13. Freaky is definitely harder. (laughs) Yes. But being able to do basically stretch that PG-13 almost to its limit where what you're shown is pretty mild, but you know, some of this implied stuff and just the creativity behind it to be able to put it into this realm. You know, I think it, it, we've talked about before, it's hard to make an R-rated concept PG-13. And there's a lot of movies that have come out over the past five years that they're more worried about the money. So they're going to just dummy down stuff. <laughs> Venom. <clears throat> Venom. I had, I had something in my throat. Escape room. Yeah. Um, there, there's a, usually, I would say, three to four horror movies each year that come out that aren't rated for a long time because the studio is going back and forth with the MPAA to change small things until they can present it to them and go, okay, that earns a PG-13. That's not an R. Um, because it does open up the market a lot more yeah. because you don't have to be 17 to buy a ticket. Um, but I, so anyway, I, all of that to say, I think Christopher Landon is able to do it a lot more where he can, it's not what is shown that's important. It's what you can imply with your own imagination, which could turn it into more of an R skewing yeah. film, but he's very deft at that of what I'm going to show is going to fall into this category And I don't know, you know, this could have been something that he'd talked about with Jason Blum about, you know, we want it to be PG-13. Maybe this is just how it came together. Who knows, you know, where that conversation was. Freaky definitely shows us that if he wants to make an R-rated movie and, you know, show the blood, he totally can. And it doesn't make the movie any worse. It's just different. Right. But I think, and he also shows in this, also goes with editing a bit there are once in each movie there's a scene it's like at the end of the the death montages where i think both times tree is falling off a building or one time she's like hanging herself um but like they have her falling and you see like the floor coming towards her but then it just kind of like fades away into the bed and that's it happens in both, and they're both really well done. And it's, I don't know, I think Christopher Landon, especially if he is doing something in this um, genre, is definitely one to watch. He hasn't he hasn't done a whole lot. Um, he's pretty up and coming, I think. But I will definitely if if his name is attached to something, I'll probably go see it. Um, okay, so here's interesting. I just looked up Christopher Landon because I wasn't sure. He wrote most of the Paranormal Activity movies. Oh, well, those don't necessarily. <laughs> I actually haven't seen any of those. Um, but yeah, he he directed one of the Paranormal Activities, the Marked Ones. Yeah, and I think that's the one with, that's the that's like one of the first movie Catherine Newton was actually ever in. Oh, interesting. I know she was in one of them. Um, and then he directed The Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, which I don't know, Ty Sheridan. I mean, in. that sounds like a fun movie. And David Cochner, Cochner. Um, and then a satirical thriller called Burning Palms in 2010. <laughs> based on Los Angeles stereotypes told through five intertwining stories. Wow, that sounds like some Pulp Fiction nonsense. Could be. So, but yeah, anyway, I think, I think Tristan's absolutely right. Christopher Landon is somebody to watch. And if you don't know already, Blumhouse Productions is a production company, distribution company, whatever, that when a movie comes out, it's probably going to be good. Or really bad, depending on, they're, they're like A24. There's not really an in-between. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think they also did like Slender Man. Oh, did they? I think that was them, yeah. Ooh. 
but they know they also i think was it get out was get out was one of their like first one of their ones yeah so like they they do have a pretty good track record and christopher landon seems to have a good working relationship with them and both of these movies did pretty well at the box office the second not as much but the first one um made 20 times its budget so it's a pretty profitable relationship my hope and i do hope that there is a third happy death day whether or not some some people were hoping that um because freaky also kind of hinted at there being potential sequels that tree would meet Mm. um the girl from freaky but i think christopher landon has basically said nah i'm not interested in doing that so it would be an interesting concept but i do think it might be a little too gratuitous that maybe it wouldn't make sense yeah and we i trust him if it's something he wants to do we don't need everything to be a cinematic universe <laughs> i want it to cross over with venom <laughs> so fun fact jessica roth has been confirmed for no way home who hasn't been tristan and i are also going to be in spider-man no way home um, yeah just we are going to say that now and disney can either make it happen or make it happen so i don't know our voice is peter parker is a fan of the podcast so like uh, well anything else you want to say nope not really just watch these movies they're fun if you don't like horror movies you won't be that scared yeah it's really not about the horror um or the suspense a lot of times and you can really look at the character development um to carry it through they're fun. They're short. Really, no reason not to watch them. Yeah. So there we go. That's our journey to the center of Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to you. God, those um, names are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> dumb names. Um, stick around in the future where, we'll, where we will continue to go to the heart of different movies and TV shows.